Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. Merry Christmas. On this edition of Columbus Perspective, we'll start out with the chief marketing officer for Ronald McDonald House Charities of Central Ohio. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Clay Gordon presents information about a school near Bell Fountain that plans to arm teachers and other staff to keep students safe. Ohio's tougher stand on texting while driving. The search for a new superintendent of Columbus City Schools had to look back on the last year with Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost. And in the second half hour, I'll wrap up the hour talking with Amy Regal, executive director of the Coalition on Homelessness and Housing in Ohio. First up on Columbus Perspective, here's Kate Burdett. I'm joined today by Ryan Wilkins. He is the chief marketing officer for Ronald McDonald House Charities of Central Ohio. And he's a busy man these days. Hi, Ryan. How are you? Well, I'm doing great. I am busy, but I like being busy. Uh, It's better than being bored, right? Exactly. Lots of things happening right now at Ronald McDonald House, I guess always is, is what we can say. And thank goodness you are there. For those who may not be as familiar, give us a quick overview. What is it that the Ronald McDonald House here in Central Ohio does? Well, we're basically a place that helps families when their kids are sick and in the hospital. So if you just imagine if you traveled from outside of central Ohio to get the care that's necessary for your kiddo at Nationwide Children's, uh, you would want to be as close as you could be to them, right? So what we do is we're right across the street from Nationwide Children's. Mom and dad can stay here. It's not going to cost them anything. Uh, They can wake up in the morning, take a shower in a room that was provided uh, to them by the community grab a bite to eat in our kitchen where volunteers have made them a breakfast and then walk across the street to be with their kids who are going through whatever tough situation it is that they're dealing with. Um, You know, when a kid is sick and in the hospital, it puts a lot of stress on the whole family. And uh, I like to say that we're in the business of taking away that stress. So mom and dad can focus on the health and well-being of their kids and not have to worry about all those other normal stressors that you and I are dealing with on a daily basis. Like, how am I going to get back and forth to where I'm going? How am I going to pay for it? All that stuff, we, we kind of just take that away so they can focus on the health and well-being of their kids. It sounds like a very important task for you to uh, perform. And if I'm not mistaken, the Central Ohio Ronald McDonald House is one of the largest in the country, isn't it? That's right. In fact, the world, we're, we're the second largest Ronald McDonald house in the world currently. And we are in the middle of a huge expansion, which is going to make us the largest in the world. Whoa. Well, we'll get to the expansion in just a moment, but earlier you mentioned volunteers making breakfast along with doing many other things. And that's the primary reason we wanted to chat today was to talk about your need for volunteers, right? Yeah. So believe it or not, this uh, this operation, which we're a 122 guest room, Ronald McDonald House, which is essentially it's kind of like a hotel where we've got all of these guest rooms. All of the work that needs to get done is done by volunteers. So if you just imagine all the cooking, the cleaning, the housekeeping, all the special projects around the house, even a lot of the maintenance that happens in the building is being done by volunteers. Um, And these are just folks in the community who want to give generously to support families whose kids are sick and in the hospital. And uh, it's an amazing thing to watch. I still can't wrap my mind around the fact that we are able to run this entire operation 
totally on the backs of volunteers, people who are generously giving their time. Last year alone, we saved about $3 million uh, in the equivalent labor cost of the amount of work that volunteers did for us. So I don't say this lightly. We literally could not do what we do without volunteers. And uh, with this growth that we're going through, we need to recruit as many more volunteers as we can get. So we're looking for folks to come and join the team. So you said anything from housekeeping to cooking to maintenance, it sounds like regardless of what someone's skill set may be, you can find a way to put them to work. Yeah, yeah. If somebody has desire and they want to come in here and help out, uh, we we will figure out a way to get them involved. Um, I like to say to people all the time that um, we're open to creative ideas, too. If somebody's got a, a special talent or skill that they want to use, come on, let's let's do it. We've got uh, a lady here. Her name her name is Fran, uh, and she helps the families make banners and signs that they can hang on their doors. That's a very specific task, a very specific skill that she's got that she loves, and she comes and does that once a week for the families. So if you've got some specialized skill or or something that you love that you think could help these families, uh, reach out to us. We would love to hear those ideas. But yeah, we're really looking for that bread and butter. Um, folks who can help us with making sure that the rooms are ready for the families, making sure that we're getting them as many resources as we possibly can, being that, uh, that warm, smiling face at the front door when people come in. Um, and it really is a very rewarding thing to be able to do. Um, in fact, my mom uh, actually is a volunteer here every Thursday. Um, and she comes in and, and she does laundry here at the house. Which you can imagine, we you know we've got like twenty checkouts every day. Um, there's a lot of sheets and and bedspreads and uh, towels to be cleaning, and um, that's what she does. A job for everyone. We're talking to Ryan Wilkins, the chief marketing officer for Ronald McDonald House Charities of Central Ohio, and we're talking about volunteer opportunities, which are plentiful there. Ryan, if someone would like to learn more, or perhaps. Uh, register to be a volunteer or even inquire about perhaps a, uh, a company outing to, I'm sure you, you do that with a lot of corporations and things, have people come in for team building and do, do volunteering. Where do they find all that information? Yeah, it's really simple to find on our website. Um, you can find us by simply Googling Ronald McDonald House Columbus, um, or if you go to rmhc-centralohio.org, We've got all kinds of information there about our volunteer opportunities. And you'll see on the volunteer tab of our website that, like you said, there are corporate uh, opportunities, there are individual opportunities, there are things that you can do with your kids. We've got blanket making that a lot of folks in the community do, and then we give a blanket to every family when they check in. Um, You can make snack packs at home and bring them in. So you can even volunteer remotely. Um, We've got a whole section that talks about ways that you can get involved from home or from your remote office. So through our website, there's uh, there's a great deal of information there. And, you know, honestly, if you, if you're driving by the Ronald McDonald house and you want to learn more, you're welcome to come in and, and just stop at the front desk, let us know that you're interested in becoming a volunteer and we'd be happy to come out and, and uh, talk to you. It's truly a home away from home when families are facing some of their, I guess, you know, worst moments with a child in the hospital. 
you don't want to have to worry about where you'll lay your head at night, where you'll get a shower and a good meal. And Ronald McDonald House has been doing this for, for quite a long time. And it sounds like the Ronald McDonald House here in Columbus is about to expand. Right, Ryan? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're knee deep in an expansion right now, actually. If I, uh, if you could be here with me right now, you'd see out our back door that we've got a huge construction zone that's happening where we're adding another 80 plus guest rooms in the back, uh, brand new kitchen and dining facility that's going to be expanded to accommodate all of these families uh, and a, a new uh, community space for events uh, here at the, at the Ronald McDonald House. And then we've got a, an expanded green space that we're building and all kinds of really ex- exciting stuff. Um, this is a, a $42 million expansion project that was generously donated by folks in the community. Um, the, the Central Ohio has really wrapped its arms around the Ronald McDonald House. And with all of the hospitals in town growing, we need to grow too. Um, we really believe that we want to be here for every single family when they need a place to stay near their, their child who's getting treated. And uh, we're, we're really proud to partner with uh, the community, with the healthcare system here in Columbus. And we're so excited about what's coming with this expansion, uh, which it looks like will be done in about a year. Wow. And that will make this the largest Ronald McDonald House in the world. That's right. And just this year, we've celebrated our 40th anniversary of the Ronald McDonald House opening here in Columbus. So the the timing just feels so synergistic. It's it's an exciting thing to kind of look back at the past of how we've come to where we are today and then look to the future of how we're going to continue to serve these families. That's just really remarkable and so great to hear that, you know, you are there and able to provide this for these families and growing. What else would you like us to know about Ronald McDonald House before we wrap up? Well, we are completely reliant upon the generosity of people in the community. Uh, so, you know, whether it be a, a local corporation, uh, a service organization, a school, a church, doesn't matter what it is, what, whatever organization that you are tied to can make a difference here at the Ronald McDonald House. Like we were talking about before, volunteerism is vital to the ongoing operation of our mission. Um, in addition, we are always looking for financial contributions that can help us to serve these families. It costs us about $100 per room per night to operate the Ronald McDonald House here in Columbus. And we raise all of that from generous donations from the community. So if, uh, if you have resources and you're looking for a worthy cause to support, please consider supporting Ronald McDonald House Charities of Central Ohio. We need your support. It makes a big difference for these families. And we sincerely appreciate uh, everything that folks do in this community. This is, I tell people all the time, this has got to be the most generous community in the world. There's, there's, there might be some that are as generous, but there's none that are more. Uh, It's an amazing thing to see how the, this community wraps its arms around these families here at the Ronald McDonald house. It really is. And whether you're looking for a volunteer opportunity for your group, your family, your coworkers, or your staff, or you're just, as Ryan said, looking for a worthy cause to support, 
This is the one for you. RMHC-CentralOhio.org is the website for Central Ohio's Ronald McDonald House, soon to be the largest in the world. We'll be checking in with you again to uh, hopefully get a get a tour of the new Ronald McDonald House in about a year when you uh, open up your expansion. I would love to do that. Thank you so much for having me and for your support. It means a lot. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Clay Gordon from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Columbus City Council passes a ban on flavored tobacco sales. What lawmakers at the State House did next to try and stop the change. Another step towards arming teachers in Ohio schools was finalized here from one superintendent who's getting ready. And taking on cryptocurrency, why Senator Sherrod Brown says it makes fraud easier. Thanks for joining us on Face the State. I'm Clay Gordon in for Tracy Townsend. We start with a controversial move by the State Board of Education. By a vote of 10 to 7, the board passed a resolution that rejects President Biden's push to extend Title IX protections to transgender students. 10 TV's Kevin Landers explains what's next for schools. What is the ultimate goal of this resolution? After months of debate, it all hinges on the definition of sex. The Ohio Department of Education voted to oppose changes to Title IX and to affirm parental rights and local control of Ohio K-12 education. The decision of the uh, Biden administration to simply decide that sex now includes these other conditions and totally redefine sex without any consideration of the uh, legislative body, the legislative lawmaking body, is to simply usurp the responsibility of uh, of the uh, legislative body. Supporters of the resolution didn't get everything they wanted. Opponents successfully removed the preamble of the bill that defined biological sex, that stated sex is not arbitrary, and that denying the reality of biological sex destroys foundational truths. This preamble is making false assumptions, confusing the term sex and gender. What was preserved, including statements that sports teams should be based on biological sex, not gender identity, and for biological women and men to compete on each other's teams would be unfair. That's the reason for why we wouldn't want males entering female sports or female bathrooms. The resolution directs the interim superintendent to send a letter to all districts. It states the following. It opposes Biden's proposed changes. The Ohio Attorney General has joined in a lawsuit to make them unenforceable. It opposes pulling federal funds for school lunch programs for schools that violate Title IX rules. And schools are not compelled to take any particular course of action. Some board members question why even the letter was being sent. It is an opinion letter with no enforceability that could very well confuse districts and parents. Teddy B's Kevin Landers with that report. According to the resolution, every school district in Ohio is expected to receive that letter within 21 days. Schools in Ohio that do not go along with Biden's amendment risk losing federal funding for their school lunch programs, a major blow to any district budget. State training requirements for Army teachers in Ohio classrooms are finalized. The curriculum meets the requirements laid out in House Bill 99, which Governor Mike DeWine signed into law this summer. 
It includes 24 hours of initial training and eight hours of annual recertification training. Both trainings involve de-escalation techniques and tactical live firearm training. TV's Richard Solomon spoke with local school districts that could add what they're calling another layer of safety. For years, we've watched tragedy happen across the country. The Columbine High School Massacre, Sandy Hook Elementary, Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. This is my 22nd year as a school superintendent. I never thought when I first started that I would ever have to worry about either an armed response team or SROs. It's left John Shu, superintendent of Benjamin Logan Local Schools, thinking, what can be done to prevent it from happening in his district? You know, times have changed, and, and certainly we want to make sure that we provide the safest environment for our kids. With a district made up of 1,700 minds of the future, school leaders are now one step closer to having a possible safety measure to keep them safe. Governor Mike DeWine announced the Ohio School Safety Center finalized state training requirements for school employees authorized by their districts to be armed on school grounds. That's 24 hours of initial training and eight hours of annual recertification training. Shoes says the district has been working to add an armed response team of 22 school volunteers. We just feel that having a layered approach of having both an SRO and the armed response team is the safest way to go. He says they've been training with the Logan County Sheriff's Office for months on their own. But other districts around the state aren't on board with this. In June, Columbus City Schools said they will not change their current district policy and will continue to prohibit weapons on all district property by any staff, students and members of the public. Shu says for his district, this is just another way to make sure all students get home safely. We feel that this is the most comprehensive approach to take in order to maximize the security for everyone involved with our school district. Now, Shu tells TV's Richard Solomon that he hopes to have the response team implemented by the end of this school year. Swatting is another issue facing schools in Ohio, and now a bill to make swatting calls a felony is headed to the governor's desk. Lawmakers passed it at the very end of the lame duck session. Swatting is a prank call that impedes valuable police resources. We saw fake 911 calls do just that at Licking Valley High School back in September, and again last month at nine schools across the state. We will let you know if the governor signs this bill into law. A distracted driving bill is waiting to be signed into law. The bill doesn't ban phones completely, but it does crack down on texting or physically holding the phone to take a call. Some opponents say it doesn't go far enough. One woman tells 10TV's Kiana Deitches that it's a step in the right direction, though. I am forever changed over the loss of my child, and I don't want other people to feel this. Hendo Dawn was 20 years old. A mother and sister, she was also Cherie Hannah's daughter. She lit up a room like no other. The lights got dark when Kendall died on Mother's Day in 2014. She was texting and driving. She decided to come home and see me, and she didn't make it. She picked up her phone and she started to text. And as she was texting, she realized she was veering off. Ohio lawmakers passed a bill to prevent this from happening in the future. 
Among the changes, drivers are banned from holding or physically supporting a cell phone. The exceptions are if they are stopped at a red light, using a speakerphone without holding the phone, or holding phones to their ears for calls, but not texting or typing. Some were hoping for a full hands-free law. That is, you cannot hold the phone or support it with any part of your body at any time. You can, you know, answer a call to disconnect or, you know, connect a call, but that gets the phone out of the driver's hand. According to the Ohio State Highway Patrol, there have been more than 9,000 distracted driving crashes already this year. 255 people have been seriously hurt. 30 have died. For Cherie, even one death is too many. Because this is where they end up. This is where I visit my child. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Kiana Deitches with that report. Governor Mike DeWine told 10TV that he plans to sign the bill and the change is a long time coming. I'm, I'm very, very happy uh, that finally, finally, uh, we have a distracted driving law uh, that after I sign it in 90 days, it will go into effect. It will save lives. I've told our members of the General Assembly uh, very few times are you going to be able to vote on something where a yes vote is clearly going to save lives in the future. We lose a lot of Ohioans tragically every single year who die uh, because of distracted driving. It gets it on the books. It moves the ball forward. We will save lives. We may want to look at this in a year or two. There may be some changes that we want to make in that law. But it's a strong signal to people in the state of Ohio we're taking distracted driving seriously. Meanwhile, Governor Mike DeWine says he's not ready to commit to sign a bill that would add new restrictions to the way Ohioans vote. Both the House and the Senate passed a new voting bill that would end Ohioans' ability to use utility bills or other alternative forms of ID to cast a vote. The bill would also shorten the window for Ohioans to cast mail-in ballots, allow for one drop box per county, even after Ohio courts decided the limitation was unnecessary, and eliminate in-person voting on the Monday before the election and prohibit most curbside voting. NTV's Kevin Landers asked DeWine if there's any evidence that Ohio's voting system is susceptible to fraud and if he agrees with these limits the legislature has approved. So why do we need this? You don't seem to be overly convinced that there's a problem. Well, look, I think the burden is always on if someone wants to change the status quo, uh, you know, we have to, they have a burden of showing that there is a real need for this. So I'm going to look at the bill. I'm going to look at each each separate provision that they have made and uh, ultimately make a decision. Of course, as governor, I'll either sign the bill or I'll veto the bill. Another bill that passed both the House and the Senate blocks a recent ban on flavored tobacco in the city of Columbus. The city voted to pass the ban, but days later, Republican lawmakers added a provision to another bill that blocks cities from passing these types of bans. City Council member Elizabeth Brown is upset about this move. Well, I'm disappointed, but more than that, I'm angry. You know, flavors addict kids. That is scientific research. We know that it's true. Um, and it's very clear in the public health data why Columbus acted to ban the sale of flavored tobacco in our city. Um, the legislature didn't have any kind of open process. They last minute threw this uh, this piece into um, onto a bill um, and uh, really just ran roughshod over the public health data that we have proven is there, that we have heard from the community is there, and that we actually see in the data. 
The Ohio Legislative Service Commission says the bill could be unconstitutional and could face future challenges in court. Two bills that we've been watching did not make the cut. One bill that transfers power away from the State Board of Education and another that changes the law for settlements involving victims of childhood abuse. You can find more on those bills at 10TV.com. Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown is pushing for regulation on cryptocurrency. This comes after the man at the center of the collapse of crypto exchange FTX was arrested. The attorney general of the Bahamas says former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried is in custody. It was at the request of the U.S. based on a sealed indictment in New York. FTX was one of the biggest crypto exchanges in the world until the company couldn't cover the sudden wave of customer withdrawals. Brown had this to say during the FTX hearings. The ability of rogue state cyber criminals, terrorists to use crypto for their own malign purposes is a feature of technology. And that's the point. Crypto also has made it easier for fraudsters and scammers to steal consumers money. Hacks and complex crypto transactions make it easy to steal billions of dollars of investors money. That's what we saw with FTX. That's what will continue as long as we allow crypto firms to write their own rules. And still to come here on Face the State. This is not a leadership failure. This is a systems failure. Do you have a specific... We go one-on-one with the president of the Columbus School Board and talk about the big issues facing the state's largest school district. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, vice president and general manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com, and thanks for listening. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Clay Gordon, courtesy of 10TV. Welcome back. Crumbling school buildings without AC, buses that can't get students to the class on time, graduation rates that need improving, and a state legislature trying to control what's happening inside Ohio classrooms. These are all challenges the next leader of the state's largest school district will face. The president of the Columbus City School Board is talking about those issues with 10TV's Kevin Landers. The next leader of Columbus City Schools will have to navigate more than educating kids, according to Jennifer Adair, president of the Columbus School Board. Urban education is hard. Uh, you know, we have a tax left and right from the from the state house, from uh, you know uh, our politicians. Um, you know, we have COVID, we have restrictions, we have a lot of things that uh, are going on. She says the next leader of the district will need to deal with state house lawmakers, which she says are making it harder to teach all children. If there isn't a place of trust, of security, students cannot learn. And what we're doing when we see these bills, whether it be CRT, whether we see it being, um, you know, attack on LGBTQ communities, um, telling students don't be who you are, don't show up who you are, and then making our teachers, our valuable teachers, afraid that impacts that relationship and our students can't learn and our students can't be who they are and our students cannot succeed. So it is an attack on every single student in Ohio. She says the next superintendent will need to be a salesperson to help pay for much needed school repairs. The board will be coming to the community in the next few years asking for help uh, because we need to make sure we have the funds to do that. 
Lingering problems with school buildings and disrepair and no air conditioning in all classrooms is an issue I asked her to address. Was that a failure in leadership to allow those conditions to persist? It's a systemic failure. It's not one person. This is not a leadership failure. This is a systems failure. We are all tired of Band-Aids. We are all tired of it, and that's what we've had. And so we are really trying to lean in and do that hard work um, and really figure out how do we change the system so that this doesn't continue to happen. In the end, she says, the next leader of Columbus City Schools will need to be a true CEO with a large skill set. We are looking for a CEO. We are looking for an executive leader. We are the largest government here in Franklin County. I know that's sometimes not understood. Um, you know, we have 9,000 employees, 47,000 students. We have a lot of property. We have a lot of investment. We have a lot of assets here in the community. Um, we have a big budget, right? And so absolutely. But fundamentally, it comes down to valuing who our children are. Now, Adair mentioned bills in the state house that aim to control what is taught in Ohio schools. Here's a look at some of those bills and where they stand. House Bill 616 would limit LGBTQ plus discussion in public schools. It was referred to a House committee back in May. Two other bills, House Bill 327 and 322, stalled in the House last year. Both aim to restrict the teaching of certain topics, including race and slavery. The district plans to hire a law firm who will pick out the search firm that will present viable candidates for the position. The school says public meetings will also take place so that the community will get to voice the kind of leadership it wants. A decision on a search firm will be made in January. Coming up in two minutes, we go one-on-one -on -one with Attorney General Dave Yost. We ask him about one of the most controversial issues of 2022 and what his plans are for Ohio in the new year. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Clay Gordon, courtesy of 10TV. Asking the tough questions to the state's top attorney. 10TV's Lindsay Mills sat down one-on-one -on -one with Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost. She asked about the biggest topics from 2022, starting with the state's controversial abortion ban. Lots of topics to get to. Let's begin with the Google search lawsuit. We know that you filed that suit and a trial date has been set for 2024. What is the state seeking in that lawsuit? Simply a judgment that declares that they're a common carrier, like a railroad or the guy that owns the ferry boat across to the river. You have to take all comers and treat them all fairly, treat them the same. Um, we're not looking for damages. We're just looking for the heightened legal duty that you have to treat everybody the same. Ohio's the first to file such a lawsuit. Have you heard from your colleagues in other states that others may join? Well, this is under state law, but I can tell you that people all across the country are watching this lawsuit. It's the only one like it that's been filed, but most states have a common carrier, a common law, or a statute. Uh, so uh, if we win this, I would not be surprised to see other states following suit. We know Ohio's heartbeat law temporarily took effect over the summer, and in that time, we learned that from Columbus police that a 10-year-old traveled across state lines to Indiana to have an abortion. 
Now, prior to learning that from police, there had been an independent report from a local Indiana newspaper about that. Mm. And in that time, you appeared on Fox News casting doubt about that case. I've asked you this before, and now months removed from that, do you, do you now think that you cast doubt too early? Well, the doubt was about the news story, not about a criminal case that didn't exist at the time I talked. But look, I understand looking backwards, um, people heard things that I didn't say and were bothered by it. And I deeply regret the pain that people felt uh, when they heard the reports. Um, I am glad that this guy is in the dock. It looks like he is going to be convicted and uh, spend the rest of his life in prison, which is where he belongs. But I've got nothing in my heart but compassion and sorrow for what this little girl suffered. There was a lot of criticism about the language of the exceptions in the heartbeat law, and you eventually came out with some clarification, some guidance to that. Do you think it needs more clarification? Do you think the language needs revision? Well, I think the General Assembly is considering clarifications. They're the ones that write the law, not the Attorney General. Um, but I will point out to some of the critics of the current language is it was imported from the prior law. So that's been the standard since 2011. Abortions have occurred in the last 10 years under that standard uh, after the viability uh, the previous standard kicked in. Um, you know, bottom line is uh, from 2011 until this year, um, doctors seem to be able to understand what that uh, language meant. And now the same language is in the new law. Uh, I'm not sure that the, we maybe aren't seeing some politics involved in that. At any rate, the General Assembly uh, writes the laws, and if they uh, think that it's appropriate, they're, they're going to clarify those things. Looking to the future, what are your political aspirations? Will we see you eventually down the road, maybe throwing your hat in the ring for governor? I just got elected attorney general, and my aspiration is to be the best attorney general the state's ever had. I was very gratified in the last election. I received more votes than any candidate for attorney general has ever had. Um, I hope to live up to those expectations. And this year as attorney general, what will Ohioans see you lead the charge on? Robocalls for sure. We've got 50 state task force that is focused on shutting those down and the scams that go with them. Uh, we're going to continue the fight against human trafficking. Uh, maybe most importantly, we're going to push to finally, finally, finally get Ohio to a place where police training happens every year. It's funded. It's required. Other states do this. We don't. Imagine how good your basketball team would be if you only trained every second or third year. Um, we want to we want to help our police be the best they can possibly be, um, and that's my number one goal to get through the General Assembly and, and get Ohio on the road to providing the tools that our police officers need. Attorney General Yost, any final thoughts on 2022? 
I'm glad 2022 is over. Let's hope 23 is a better year. And you can watch Lindsay's entire interview right now on the 10TV app. Well, thanks for being with us today. And remember, if, if it affects you, your family in Ohio, we are here to make sure those accountable face the state. That's again Clay Gordon, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. Here's Clay with a look at what you can see this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. 10 TV's Kevin Lander sat down one-on-one with Governor Mike DeWine to talk about the biggest topics of 2022. Majority of Ohioans believe that abortion should be legal. The way Ohio's law is right now, it's very restrictive. Do you see yourself supporting any exceptions to the abortion law. And to hear the governor's answer, you'll need to watch Face the State. We'll talk to him about abortion, redistricting, and the measles outbreak. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me is Amy Regal. She is the executive director of the Coalition on Homelessness and Housing in Ohio. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Tell us what the coalition is. The Coalition on Homelessness and Housing in Ohio, otherwise known as COHIO, is a group of advocates that come together to work towards improving um affordable housing opportunities and reducing homelessness across the state of Ohio. We provide advocacy work at the state and federal level and also help to facilitate programs in the housing space across the state. And you recently became executive director, replacing the retiring longtime director, Bill Faith. That is correct, yes. On June 1st, Tell us your background as far as uh, getting into this position. I have worked in the housing space for over 17 years. I worked in local government for 10 years, um, working in the city of Dayton, Ohio, working on different types of housing and homelessness activities. During my tenure at the city of Dayton was during the housing recession in 2009, 2010, And so that was really when I became very interested, not just in the daily activities the cities were doing to promote housing and and homelessness, but about the policies that were being created that were impacting housing and homelessness. I then took a little twist in my career, and I went to work for CareSource, the managed care organization that operates here in the state of Ohio. They were starting a program called Life Services, and they really wanted to dig in deep and focus on the social determinants of health, and they were looking for experts in the field to come into the organization and to help them build that program. So I joined CareSource and worked there for over six years, and during that time, I started their program focusing on housing across the country and how, especially for individuals who are on Medicaid, how housing directly impacts their health outcomes, but also their just overall well-being and satisfaction in life. So that was a great opportunity, not, not just to go deeper in the state of Ohio to see how housing intersects with other important topics, but then to learn what other states were doing and how they were approaching the same topic and the same issues that are very prevalent and, and similar across the country. And The truth be told, what I found is Ohio does this work really, really well, and there's a lot of best 
practices and great work that is happening right here in the state. So when the opportunity presented itself to replace Bill, although no one will ever replace Bill Faith, um, but to assume this role as executive director, I thought it was a great opportunity to come back to my home state and to really focus in on what we can do to further policy and also um, promote the best programs possible so that the citizens of the state of Ohio can have housing opportunities and are less likely to find themselves in the position of homelessness. That's great. Talking with Amy Regal, Executive Director of COHIO, the Coalition on Homelessness and Housing in Ohio. You're out with your out-of-reach report, which looks at the affordability of renting in Ohio. Yes. This is an annual report that we put out in conjunction with the National Low-Income Housing Coalition. And every year we look at what is that wage that a person has to earn in order to afford a, a modest two-bedroom apartment across the state. When you look at your numbers, they're so eye-opening because I like the way you broke it down to the 10 occupations where the most Ohioans work and whether they can afford it or not. Yes. Oftentimes, we'll talk about the fact that there's nowhere in the state of Ohio that a person who's earning minimum wage and working full-time can afford a two-bedroom apartment. But the pushback on that statement might be, well, but do most people earn minimum wage? And aren't people, especially now as you see many signs in your community of organizations paying, you know, $14, $15 an hour, how many people are actually earning minimum wage? So what we look at is those 10 most common occupations across the state, how much are they paying on average, and could you work those jobs full-time and be be able to afford a modest two-bedroom apartment. And what we find is six out of the 10, you cannot afford a two-bedroom apartment. For two of them, you would just be squeaking by and things would probably be really tight. They're just earning over the $17.05 wage the renter has to earn to be able to afford that two-bedroom apartment. There are only two. Only two of those most common positions where you are comfortably able to earn that wage and afford a two-bedroom apartment. And so what that shows us is that for the majority of working Ohioans across the state, housing is really out of reach, and they're spending a lopsided amount of their income each month on housing, which takes away from their ability to spend those dollars on other things. And these occupations, you know, we're talking about a nurse, a retail salesperson, fast food worker, cashier, customer service rep, stock order filer, laborer, freight mover, home health aide, general operations manager, and office clerk. When you add all those up, it's about a million people in Ohio, and only the nurse and the operation, general operations manager are making money that puts them well above what they need to rent a two-bedroom apartment. That is correct. And... There are many other important service individuals and uh, laborers across the state who we know are essential to our everyday lives. The individual who waits on you in the store as you're buying your kids' school supplies right now, or perhaps the waitress waiting on you at the local restaurant, 
these are all service employees that we that we need and that in many cases we found just how essential they are um, to our well-being and the wages that they're earning and with the skyrocketing rental rates, they're just not matching up these days. And you're saying uh, in your report that you need about 17 bucks an hour to afford a two-bedroom apartment in Ohio. And, you know, this comes on the heels of many states and cities pushing for a $15 minimum wage. And that must really be disheartening for you, that, that we finally started to get a push for higher wages, but now it comes at a time when now it's not enough. That is correct. And when we look at these numbers, that is based upon if a person were able to afford what's called fair market rent. That's the rent level that is calculated by the federal government as kind of a, I would say, lower end average of what rental units are going for in your community. So it really is if you can find that unique unit that is in the area that you want and that is available and that is it at that fair market rent level. But if you look around our communities right now, you would be very hard pressed to find a unit at that rental uh, amount. Most of the units are going for more than that. And what we're seeing is that in a recent report, in the last year, just in the last year, for over 100,000 Ohioans, their rent went up by over $250 a month. Wow. So that, that is just going up and up and up, but our wages aren't necessarily, or in most cases, aren't rising at that same rate. So yes, you do have to earn $17.05, but um, in most cases, you would need to earn even more than that to be able to afford that apartment. So although the conversations are promising and we are happy to hear the conversations of increasing that minimum wage and the minimum wage increases that Ohio has provided over the years, Ohio is now $2 more an hour than the federal level. Uh, Those are good steps in the right direction, but the cost of these essential services in our life, a place to live is an essential need within our everyday lives that cost is just rising much faster. And we need to think of ways that we can try to balance these costs and what we're earning in our paycheck. Talking with Amy Regal, Executive Director of the Coalition on Homelessness and Housing in Ohio. I know somebody up in my old stomping grounds in Huron County, which is up between Mansfield and Sandusky, who's on a fixed income, retired. His rent went from 465 to 700 and that still might sound like a bargain to some people around here, but that's a rural area where wages are nowhere near what they are around here. It's just not sustainable. No, and that's a common story. We're hearing that from all kinds of people. We're hearing it from people who are entering homeless shelters. We're hearing it from seniors who are on fixed incomes. We're also hearing it from individuals who are who are working in some of our top employers who have you know, higher level positions, but who are renters um, and perhaps are, you know, saving up, trying to become a homeowner, and they're finding themselves in the position of being forced to leave their unit because they can't afford it anymore. And 
And so this is a very common story that we're hearing and one that I just don't know if it's sustainable for us to keep seeing this happen to our communities. We can't take this time and hesitate in the development of new housing. Housing does take, usually in the state of Ohio, anywhere between 12 months to 24 months in order to build. We can't delay. There's not a, a, a situation where these rental increases don't continue to skyrocket. We have to act now. I, I agree. It's not the perfect time. It would be great to wait for the prices to go down, to wait to get some more skilled labor individuals uh, trained and out into the field. But if we wait for those things, it will be too late. We have to act now and take this opportunity. We understand that, especially during the pandemic, it brought a spotlight to many different gaps and needs across the state of Ohio. So we in no way, shape, or form are saying housing is the only need in the state of Ohio. We understand that there are other things that the ARPA dollars could be used for. However, we know that housing is the foundation to build upon so that more workers can get into the workforce, so that we can reduce the pressure on our hospitals because people will be healthier and be able to take a more active care of their overall well-being. We know kids do better in school when they have a stable house to go to. So we are not receiving pushback. I think it's just the opportunity to um, really highlight the right timing. And we believe that the time is now and that this is the opportunity we have to go ahead and make this investment so we can be prepared for what comes next as we move out of the pandemic. With so many more people working from home, although I know that has been shifting back to the office uh, this year, but, you know, we had hotels that went out of business and office towers that were empty. Do hotels or office towers provide any possibility for affordable housing? Especially with the hotels, we have seen many examples across the country and even right here in Ohio of them being converted to housing. Um, sometimes uh, small studio apartments, um, especially for individuals who might be um, exiting incarceration or who may have experienced homelessness. We have seen those, if you will, retrofits occur. It's not uncommon for office buildings to become housing, and, and especially many of the urban downtown areas, you see a lot of those converted buildings, um, sometimes historical. Um, so there is a expertise out there. There is a precedent for making those changes. Um, and so we do anticipate that it will be part of the solution but we also know that many individuals want different types of communities. Oftentimes, office buildings or hotels are located in a more urban area or the more, you know, a downtown, even if you're talking about a small community. And individuals want oftentimes to live in more of a rural setting or a suburban area that's maybe closer to their, 
their employment opportunities, their schools. And so we want to make sure that there is a diversified opportunity for people to live in their community of choice across the state. Talking with Amy Regal, Executive Director of the Coalition on Homelessness and Housing in Ohio. Home values are skyrocketing, so I'm, I'm imagining that over the next few years, there's going to be some pretty significant boosts in property taxes. Yes, home prices are skyrocketing, and that is part of what is creating some of the pressure on the rental market. Individuals who would normally be buying their first time home um, and who maybe have been out of college for five to six years, they're settled in their job, they would be looking for a house out on the market. And what we find today is that many of them aren't able to purchase a home, not because they don't have the income, not because they don't have great credit, but because the houses are selling for cash and they're oftentimes being sold to investors who are turning them into rental properties. And so that sometimes can create a imbalance within a community, whereas what you would consider the value of a home that you are going to live in, that you're hoping to live in for the next 10, 15 years, that you are going to make your own, is different than what you might think is the value of a home where you are receiving rent on that house. And so that pushes up the value within communities, and it will have an impact on property taxes. I do think that that's something that communities have always struggled with and that they will really have to um, dig in at that level, um, at that taxation level, and make sure that it doesn't start having a pinch on some of the most vulnerable in our community or those individuals who are the staples of our community who've lived in those homes for years and years, decades and decades, that they don't suddenly um, become unable to stay in their home because of the tax rate. And it's an unfortunate and intriguing situation in Ohio because we still do have an unconstitutional situation with property taxes and school funding and all that. That is correct. And, um, you know, as that situation continues to occur, property taxes have a lot of meaning to a lot of interest groups. And we have to, you know, be able to balance those interests and really think about the individual living in the home. And that makes it really hard, which is just another reason that a different funding structure would benefit our communities for schools. Just a couple of minutes to go here with Amy Regal from Ohio, the Coalition on Homelessness and Housing in Ohio. Where do you suggest that people who are you know, like that example I gave you in northern Ohio where the rent went up 250 bucks, and you've talked about others who've gone through that. Where do they turn? Anybody that's looking for a way out of these problems, is there a, a resource to at least get information? That is a great question. And so there are some resources within every county that you can turn to. In some cases, the landlords are being very conscientious, and they are they are working by the letter of the law. 
However, we are seeing some situations where the rent increases or the um, eviction notices or other orders being given by landlords are not to the letter of the law. And so if you do have questions, um, I encourage people to reach out to their local legal aid society or their volunteer lawyers program to um, ask those questions and to make sure and just get a second opinion on whether or not what is happening is legal and perhaps you have more time to look for a new unit or perhaps additional notice had to be given or that um, based upon your lease, that level of rent increase is not acceptable. So I do encourage people to reach out and you know just get a opinion on those rental increases. If you are in a unit and you are worried that you're not going to be able to pay rent or you are behind in rent, the local community action agencies in most counties, in some counties, and maybe the Department of Jobs and Family Services, um, do have some rental assistance, and they may be able to help individuals to receive rent support. And then also, at Ohio, we do help cities, counties, but also sometimes individuals to be able to find the right resources. And so by visiting our website at cohio.org, um, they can navigate to certain um, resources and find out information on it there, or um, they also can call and find out more information from our housing information line, which is 888-485-7999. And once again, that's also, um, that, that line is there for people who are seeking advice on how to deal with specific issues related to their landlord-tenant relationship, the Fair Housing Act, or tenant organizing um, to be able to maybe bring tenants together to work with the landlord to try to stay housed in those units. And again, the website is cohio.org. And I'm assuming that folks can see your out-of-reach report at that website as well? Yes, cohio.org, cohio.org. And yes, the out-of-reach and then also more information about our housing information line and our email um, inbox that also takes questions um, from residents. Okay. Amy Regal, again, Executive Director of the Coalition on Homelessness and Housing in Ohio. Anything else you'd like to add? I thank you for your time. Thank you for helping us share this information about the Out of Reach Report. We think that this is really important to get out. And for those who may be experiencing the rising rents, for those who are feeling that pinch, we encourage you to reach out to your state representative, reach out to your state senator, or even your local maybe city or county commissioner and tell them what an important issue this is to you and how the investment in more housing would benefit you and your community. 
Um, we need people to hear from the residents. They, they can listen to us advocates uh, chatter away all the time, but they really are moved the most when they hear from their own constituents. So every voice matters, and we would appreciate those to reach out and express this need within the state. Amy, thanks so much for the information and your time today. Yes, thank you. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM, Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.